Good morning. This is Northern Light for Thursday, May 25th. I'm Todd Moe. The new St. Lawrence Seaway Administrator visited Messina yesterday to unveil a new $7 million tugboat. With so much vessel traffic, having a dedicated crew of expert mariners here based in the North Country really is essential to make sure that we can keep doing what we do and do what we love. Warren County has developed a website that teaches residents how to check for lead pipes in their homes and report the results. The idea is to get lead away from any means in which the human body can ingest it. And this is uh, one of the sources, probably one of the bigger sources left. Also, we'll talk with historian Amy Godin about William Apo Jr., the black Adirondack resident, was a Civil War soldier killed at the Battle of Bull Run. His headstone will be unveiled as part of a Memorial Day weekend event near Lake Placid. It's thrilling to see the sea change in the community over the years regarding the right to belong of this family and their, their role in local history. All that's coming up on Northern Light. Stay tuned. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by Cronin's Golf Resort, a regional destination for golf, dining, and lodging in the southern Adirondacks. Details at croninsgolfresort.com and adirondackexplorer.org and the adirondackalmanac.com, seeking solutions to the Adirondack Park's challenges in print and online. This is Northern Light. I'm Todd Moe. The U.S. is inching closer to a potential default on its debt. Speaking in the Finger Lakes on Wednesday, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said a default would be devastating. It would make our IRAs be worthless. It would raise the cost of everything. So we have to avoid, um, we have to avoid default. Schumer says bipartisan talks are happening between Speaker Kevin McCarthy and President Joe Biden, saying a default would be the worst alternative. The way to get this done is to have a bipartisan solution. And I'm working hard to do everything we can to avoid default. That would be terrible. A bipartisan solution, you know, it's not going to have everything everybody wants, but it's a lot better than default. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has warned that the United States could run out, of, run out of money as early as June 1st. That's a week from today. Two more North Country counties have declared states of emergencies amid an influx of migrants into New York City. Franklin and Warren counties issued the states of emergencies this week following St. Lawrence County, which declared one last week. In its emergency declaration, Franklin, Franklin County cited the lack of available housing for migrants. Officials from Warren County said an influx of migrants has the potential to, quote, create significant problems on natural resources. Declaring a state of emergency allows counties to access state or federal resources if those counties experience financial impacts from the migrant crisis. 
The new chief of the U.S. side of the St. Lawrence Seaway visited Messina yesterday. The Seaway employs about 120 people in Messina to operate the channel and two locks that allow international freighters access to the Great Lakes. The administrator unveiled a new $7 million tugboat that will help, especially in icy conditions. As David Summerstein reports, officials hope its launch goes better than the last new Seaway vessel. Welcome aboard, gentlemen. Welcome to the Seaway Friday. I'm Adam Tyndall Schlick. It's a rainy day, and Seaway Administrator Adam Tyndall Schlick holds a big umbrella and welcomes journalists onto the deck of the St. Lawrence Seaway's new tugboat, the Seaway Trident. Up ahead of us, a giant freighter squeezes through the Eisenhower lock, just inches from the lock wall on either side. With so much vessel traffic, having a dedicated crew of expert mariners here based in the North Country that know how to operate the Seaway Trident and our other fleet of vessels really is essential to make sure that we can keep doing what we do and do what we love. More than 4,000 vessels sailed through the Seaway last year, but overall tonnage was down 5%. As the new head of the St. Lawrence Seaway Development Corporation appointed last November, Tyndall Schlicht will be in charge of getting that number back up. He says he was recently at a global trade conference in Munich with Great Lakes port directors to drum up business. Unwrapping and unleashing what is um, a lot of potential still for our system. I believe that the Great Lakes Seaway system is a necessary and critical relief valve, um, especially in times of supply chain duress around the world. Tyndall Schlicht says these locks in Messina could handle double the traffic if it comes. The Trident just arrived two weeks ago. Captain Paul Braden guides me up the stairs to the wheelhouse. (laughs) It literally has that new tugboat smell still. One of the Trident's new features is it has blades that can shave ice off the lock walls at the frigid beginning and ends of the seaway season in March and December, Braden says. Basically, the temperature drops below uh, zero, and uh, anytime you raise and lower the water, you'll have ice forming on the lock walls. The Seaway is hoping the Trident has better luck than its other new vessel, the $24 million Seaway Guardian tugboat and icebreaker. It was supposed to replace the 64-year-old Robinson Bay. But as reported by shipwatcher Michael Folsom, it had issues last December and had to be grounded. Tyndall Schlick said Wednesday bids were out to do the repairs, and they hope to have the Guardian back out on the water late this year or early next. David Summerstein, North Country Public Radio, Messina. And coming up next week on Northern Light and Story of the Day, we'll talk one-on-one with the new Seaway Administrator about invasive species, the potential for year-round shipping, and his love for summers in Messina. Lake George is unveiling a new electric vehicle charging station next month, and it won't be for cars, but for electric boats. The new charging station will be the first of its kind in all of the Northeast. E-boats aren't widespread the way electric cars are. It's also unclear how many electric boats there are on Lake George, if any. According to a press release about the event, there are about 375,000 registered boats in New York State under 25 feet long. The e-boat charging station will be at the Freedom Boat Club's marina on the southern end of Lake George. 
A rural health network plans to open a new pediatric center in Plattsburgh this year. Hudson Headwaters Health Network announced the news this week. In a press release, it said the new children's facility will fill in a gap in the Plattsburgh area. According to Hudson Headwaters, the network has accepted more than 5,000 new patients in the last six months. The new pediatric center in Plattsburgh will open by the end of the year. Hudson Headwaters has 21 health centers around the North Country, from Glens Falls over to Tupper Lake and up to the town of Champlain near the Canadian border. You're listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. Get more news all the time on our website at ncpr.org. is coming up on nine minutes past eight. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. This is Northern Light. Monica Sandreski will be back next week. Coming up in just a moment, waterline testing in Warren County. We'll hear from uh, an official with the city of Glens Falls. Also, also coming up, a long overdue memorial to an Adirondack Civil War soldier. That's coming up in a few minutes. Stay tuned. This is music by the Adirondack Harper Martha Gallagher, tune called After the Rain. Listen to more of Martha's music as part of our underscore project at ncpr.org slash underscore. Northern Light is supported by Gray and & Gray and & Associates, CPAs, an accounting and financial services firm in northern New York with offices in Canton, Potsdam, and Spring Hill, Florida, graycpas.com, and by Rickard Environmental in Keene, New York, Keeping Adirondack water clean by providing DEC and APA permitting services to landowners. Learn more at rickertenvironmental.com. We all know that exposure to lead in our drinking water can be dangerous. The effects can range from slowed growth in children to brain damage to increased blood pressure in adults. The federal government is requiring municipal water systems across the country to inventory the presence of lead in their service lines by October 2024. Dan Col- Don Colts with the city of Glens Falls says municipalities have to check their portions of the system. We're out there looking at not only the mains themselves, but the service lines that go from the main to the curb box to the house. And if we find any lead pipe in there, we're going to remove it. and. Uh, quite honestly, that's where we're going to find the most material, if there is any, is going to be out on the municipal side. Warren County has set up a website that teaches residents how to check the water lines inside their homes for lead pipes and report their results. 
Don Colts told our Champlain Valley reporter, Kara Chapman, they can also use the site to ask for help. You can take a picture of what you find and submit it to the website. On the website, it'll have uh, a list of uh, directions to get to your community, and you can send that into the website, which will be directed, in our case, to Glens Falls, and we can take a look at it and help determine what kind of material it is. And if even if we can't, from the picture... Uh, we'll make an appointment and have one of our uh, representatives come to the home and verify whether it is or isn't uh, lead or what material it might be. If lead is found, um, what happens then? Like, what's the responsibility of the homeowner, the municipality, to address the issue? The municipality is responsible under the EPA guidance to remove any lead material piping that they find from including the mains right up to uh, the wall of the basement of the home up to the meter. So on the inside of the home, it only goes as far as the meter. If there is any lead pipe found in there, uh, the municipality will uh, schedule and remove uh, any lead pipes that are found. On the homeowner side, that becomes the homeowner's responsibility to have that replaced. To me, that's rather rare that you would find lead pipe in a home, but Generally, if it is to be found, it's probably going to be in an older home, and I'm talking circa 1900, if they were using it then. Generally, uh, you'll find galvanized pipe in that era. Don, I'm wondering if you can talk about why this is important. Why do we need to identify where lead is still present and remove it? Through the understanding of all the work that's been done by uh, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, They've done a lot of work on uh, lead in the human being, and they have found over time that lead sticks with us. It's not one of those things that we ingest and we can get rid of, and it, and it has a detrimental effect uh, on the human body, uh, especially we're concerned with uh, lead in, uh, in children and affecting their brains. Um, there are other sources for kids to get in, you know, ingest lead. Uh, we've heard many times of, of uh, children chewing on lead-based paint on the windowsills or, or those kind of things. And the idea is to get lead away from any means in which the human body can ingest it. And this is uh, one of the sources, probably one of the bigger sources left, that can be removed and replaced with what is currently thought to be the best uh, material to replace it with. Is there anything else that you think is just important for, you know, the residents of Warren County to know about this program or people in other counties and, you know, the Capital District and North Country, what what they should know about this deadline coming up October 2024 with identifying the lead pipes? Sure. It's for your own benefit that this is being done. It's going to be an inconvenience in some cases when the community has to either dig up or what we call pothole to replace the pipe, but just know that it's for their own well-being. Um, it's something you need to look forward to, not looking back and say, I wish I had done something different. If we if we find a lead connection, the idea is to remove it. In doing this, we, we got looking at the fact that EPA is not addressing those that are on wells. Some individual homes, uh, especially uh, out in the hinterlands of the county that are not connected to distribution systems by a municipality, they should take a look at their plumbing too. 
Uh, and I'm sure the local municipality would give you a hand if you send them a picture of what you have if you can't identify it. And just keep that in mind. You're trying to help yourself and your family uh, to protect yourself and removing that lead possibility from affecting the water that you drink. Don Colts with the city of Glens Falls speaking with our Champlain Valley reporter, Kara Chapman. Listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe, and Monica is back next week. Thank you so much for joining us. It's 8.17. Coming up in just a moment, a long overdue memorial to an Adirondack Civil War soldier, a special event being held Saturday in the Lake Placid area. More on that coming up in just a moment. Uh, The Weather Service says sunshine today and Probably into the early part of next week. It's going to get warmer as well. Highs this afternoon around 60 with winds out of the north. Lows dipping down into the 30s overnight tonight. Maybe some areas of frost late tonight and early Friday morning. Tomorrow, clear highs near 70. And through the weekend, highs in the 70s. Maybe the low 80s by Monday and Glens Falls, Lake George, Sarasota Springs, those areas could see highs in the low 80s, maybe Saturday and Sunday. So it's going to warm up just in time for the Memorial Day weekend. And uh, Memorial Day, uh, uh, Monday, sunshine and high around 80 for much of the region. Right now in Canton, we have sunshine and 43 degrees. An Adirondack resident who served in the Union Army during the Civil War will be remembered this Memorial Day weekend The John Brown Farm State Historic Site, along with local volunteers and officials from the town of North Elba, will unveil a headstone for William Apo Jr. in the North Elba Cemetery. The event will be held on Saturday at 10 a.m., and everyone is welcome. William Apo Jr. was the son of composer and musician William Apo Sr., who joined the black community of Timbuktu and was a good friend to John Brown. His son, William Apo Jr., passed as a white soldier with the 30th New York Regiment during the Civil War. Corporal Apo was killed in action at the Second Battle of Bull Run and buried in a mass grave on the battlefield. Adirondack scholar and writer Amy Godine will remember Apo and other black Adirondackers who fought in white regiments for the Union on Saturday following the wreath laying at the Apo family plot in North Elba. She says the John Brown Farm Historic Site, with the help of the Sons of Union Veterans, are finally able to give Corporal Apo an appropriate memorial. He was a young man. We know not a lot about him. We know much more about his family, his siblings and his mother and his father than we do about him. But we do know he grew up in Philadelphia, Burlington, New Jersey at some point. Around 1860, he moves to North Elba, where his father is living, in a remote 
frontier town in the Adirondack region, and that's another story, but I'll answer that one next. And from North Elba, this man who's mixed race registers with the list of volunteers from that town for the Civil War, for the Union Army. He's made corporal after just five months since mustering in, so he must have impressed his officers as a confident fellow because mm-hmm. he's quite young mm-hmm. uh, to gain that, that kind of respect. And his regiment, and I guess he engaged in something like 26 skirmishes and 30 battles, not all of them, of course, but he's seen a lot of war before he goes to the first battle of Bull Run, which is also called Manassas, and there are other battles. And then he returns to Bull Run with the Army of Virginia in 1862 in late August, and that's when he dies. He dies with another 14,000 men in the Union Army in one day. Um, there are 60,000 Union men who fight in that battle, and 14,000 die in a day. It's quite catastrophic. He, his remains are never found. He never comes back to North Elba. But much later, his father decides to put a marker next to his own gravestone to commemorate his son and his son's sacrifice. It simply says, William Apo. There's no mention of his service at all. So his family basically puts together a, a small stone for the family plot in the Adirondacks. That's right. And that's the only marker that signals his, his presence. There's nothing that acknowledges his service in the war and his sacrifice until a local man named Charles Thomas, and I know very little about this guy, he's long deceased, but he attempts to put up, he does put up a marker in 2001, and it's a GAR marker, and identifies him as a Union veteran. That's the first identification. Takes that long. And um the town historian objects to this because his physical remains aren't actually under that stone. Mm-hmm. So I checked it out with the GAR headquarters in Baltimore, and they said, no, that's not really a law or a regulation. There's a lot of flexibility on that point. So in this past year or two, we've seen some action to finally bring this young martyr some recognition for what he did. It's a moving story. It's a story of a million people, of course, yeah. but it's our story in the Adirondacks, and it's a good one. And I'm thrilled to see him recognized this way. Amy, you've done a lot of research on Timbuktu and uh, African Americans and the black community in the Adirondacks. And William Apo Jr.'s father was was who? One of the early settlers? Well, he was a settler, but he wasn't one of the grantees. The story, in a way, begins in 1848 when William Apple Jr.'s father, who's also William Apple, writes to a black activist who's working with a white abolitionist named Garrett Smith to identify um, 3,000 black men in the in New York State who will gain a piece of land in the Adirondack region. The acquisition of land will help black male New Yorkers vote from 1821 or so to 1870, black men in New York State could not vote unless they could prove they owned $250 worth of real estate. This is a a restriction, an exercise in voter suppression early on. 
William Apo was never able to qualify for one of these free land gifts because he lived out of state. Mm-hmm. He was in Pennsylvania, and also because he had money of his own. He was a very successful musician. He had the means to buy land, and so he bought 148 acres right in North Elba, near the early settlement of Timbuktu, which was one of the first settlements that Garrett Smith's land philanthropy enabled. William Apple comes by himself, and at first it's more of a summer home for him, and then he moves there, I think, a little more permanently when he's with, he marries a local woman, the daughter of his his neighbor, a little later on. And I think his son comes to join his father, partly, too, to support his effort to support this community. I don't think it's an accident that he winds up in his father's cabin or home in North Elba. And from there, he enlists with the Union Army. It's possible that the North Elbans, who were already there, admired William Apo. He was teaching music to their children, and he was buying land when others couldn't afford to, to buy any. And he was, he was committed to the community, so they might have partly shown their respect for his son by giving him a pass as far as enlisting goes because he was known to be the son of black people. And it was not permissible at that time for non-white Americans to serve in the Union Army. But there were a lot of black men who did all the same. And what worked in William Apple Jr.'s favor was his lighter complexion, of course, as it did for all the other black Adirondackers who were able to um, enlist in white companies. Amy, I just want to remind listeners that your book, uh, The Black Woods, Racial Justice on the Adirondack Frontier, is coming out later this year. And we'll, we'll talk further with you about that book when we get closer to the release date. But take just a minute and, you know, it's Memorial Day weekend and a proper tribute to a local Civil War veteran is happening on Saturday. It's so belatedly and we're so glad that we finally have an opportunity to do this, that the town is on board with this. The last time that a local approached town authority to do this, he was cut right down. That was um, Charles Thomas, who I mentioned, who wrote the town, who was the cost or reproached by the town historian for being completely out of bounds for putting a GAR um, symbol at his grave, a post. And the town's reaction this time has been completely the opposite of that. It's been welcoming and excited and enthusiastic. Not only is the town supporting this effort, but they're also going to repair and restore the obelisk, which honors William Apo's family and his black neighbors, the Epps family, who were his friends and in-laws eventually when he marries another time after his wife dies. So it's thrilling to see the sea change in the community over the years regarding the right to belong of this family and their their role in local history and their great contribution to the Adirondack story. That's a thrill to me as a writer of the region. Happy to see that change. I want to say to folks who might come to this, and it's open to one and all, the ceremony on Saturday morning that after it I'll be talking more about black soldiers and about the Apo family and what they represented locally, and their friendship with John Brown's family, which was very tight, after the ceremony at the at the grave in the Lake Placid Cemetery, which is the same as the North Elba Cemetery. And um, hope so, folks 
folks will come to both events. That would be super. Amy Godine is a well-known historian who has researched and documented black history in the Adirondacks. She's the author of the new book, The Black Woods, Racial Justice on the Adirondack Frontier, which will be released in November. And as she mentioned, she is the curator of the Dreaming of Timbuktu exhibit in the Upper Barn at the John Brown Farm State Historic Site in Lake Placid. She'll give a lecture on Saturday following the wreath laying Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. Uh, at the Apo family plot in the North Elba Cemetery. And everyone is welcome to both events. We have more information on our website at ncpr.org. Time now is uh, 28 minutes past 8, and you're listening to Northern Light on this Thursday morning. I'm Todd Mill. Thank you so much for joining us. We're back to uh, more of Morning Edition coming up in just a moment. do want to mention uh, a couple of events uh, coming up at the Paul Smith's College Vic. Uh, the great Adirondack birding celebration will be coming up uh, on next week, uh, June 2nd and 3rd. Uh, that's at the Paul Smith College Vic opportunity for celebrating birds in our region uh, for beginners and uh, uh, longtime birders. Uh, it's a three-day event uh, uh, designed to introduce birders of all ages and skill levels. And that's happening at the Paul Smith College Vic, the Great Adirondack Birding Celebration, uh, and also coming up uh, later in June on Friday, June 9th, a concert. Uh, music over the marsh at the Paul Smith's Vic. It's the Susquehanna String Band. Rick Bunting, Dan Duggan, John Kirk. Their band uh, will be playing um, a great deal of music. Three very talented musicians. The Susquehanna String Band. Music over the marsh at the Paul Smith's Vic. Coming up on Friday, June 9th at 7 in the evening. That's it for Northern Light on this Thursday, uh, the 25th of May. More of Morning Edition coming up in just a moment. Thank you so much for listening. Monica is back next week. I'm Todd Moe. Be well.